This is Father Bonaventure Chapman. And this is Father Gregory Pine. And welcome to God's Planning. Thank you for all those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Uh, be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you consume, listen to, or watch your podcasts. Father Gregory Pine. It is I. You are a mathematician of sorts, or you were. You no. did mathematics when you were in college. You know stuff. You yeah. know the numbers, right? Yeah. What is your favorite mathematical formula? Wow. So I don't really know. What do you, you, you like? What you, formulas do you like? You know like? formulas a lot better than I do, and oh, you've made true. YouTube videos about them. So I would Ooh. encourage you, uh, gentle listener, to check out Father Bonaventure's physics and or mathematics formulaic video stylings. Um, so I wrote my... So I. Mm-hmm. Studied math at an undergraduate level. Yeah. And um, pretty good. I would say that I flamed out about halfway through. Real analysis broke my back. It was like that scene in Batman 3 when Bane picks up Batman oh, yeah. and does the old over the knee. Yeah. Um, so real analysis was like that for me because we had infinite resubmits on our homework and there was mm. no torture worse yes. than infinite resubmits. Yes. For perfectionists, at least. Yeah. Well, yeah. I yeah. can neither affirm nor deny. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so I wrote my undergraduate thesis on the golden mean or the golden ratio and fractal maximization, mm-hmm. uh, which sounds cool, but it was basically like I found this interesting sequence of numbers that when you divide them, they approach this interesting ratio, which mm-hmm. is pleasant to look at. That's basically what it amounted to. Yeah. So you start with your Fibonacci sequence. Mm-hmm. One, one, two, three, five, eight, Get the 13. pyramid going. Yeah, yep. exactly. And then when you divide n, well, n, n plus 1 divided by n, this approaches more and more closely to like 1.6181 dot, 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 dot. It's a irrational number, so the dot, 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 dot indicates nothing, kind of like pi. Yeah. But I thought that was cool because there are a variety of things in the natural world which approximate this ratio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it gets into everything, like nautilus shells yeah. and the whorls on pineapples. It's just, uh, it's, an, it's an optimal spacing ratio. Yeah. And as a result of which yeah. people find it pleasant to look at yes. because our eyes correspond to the things and the things as they ought to be. This I have a fantastic story about this particular ratio. The, I'm golden, ready. the golden ratio is uh, when I was taking calculus in college, uh, I was physics, so I had to take plenty of math with the, with the Mathies for a while. And the professor, our, our professor there, Professor Thompson, Dr. Thompson, he's probably not watching, but he was fantastic. Great, great, great professor uh, in calculus. And he was having a window put in the front of his house. Um, and the, uh, the, the architect said, well, what dimensions would you like? And, he's, and he said, how much tolerance do I get? Like how many digits do I get to the tolerance? And he gave him the number, you know, three digits or something to decimals. And so he worked out the, the right ratio for this Fibonacci, this golden, golden ratio, such that he said, when you're driving down my street, your eyes will be drawn to the front of my house. You won't be able to explain it because it'll just be a plain window, but there'll be something that draws you to my house. So which is, is fascinating. This is not an episode about numbers and Platonism. No. Uh, but it is fascinating that these numbers, which formulas represent some fashion, the functionality of how numbers relate to each other, correspond to real world situations and reality itself. For me, the, the uh, Schrodinger equation uh, of, the, of wave mechanics, this is just a mathematical equation about signs or if you want to do exponentials, if you're doing that that way. And yet it describes the function of microparticles. Uh, it's just a bunch of symbols that have numbers involved in them and differential, second order differentials. And yet it describes how things move. And that's shocking. But formula, it should be, right? But formulas, formulas have this way of commanding reality now. 
Mm. This episode uh-huh. is, dear yeah. listeners, this is a great transition, no, is no. about a formula change. And I don't mean Formula One, nor mathematical formula, but something very close to mathematical formulas, a sacramental formula, which is the mathematics of God's grace. Wow. Correct? Savage. So we are entering the time where there is a new formula of absolution. So if you haven't been to confession in years and you go and you hear something, there is now a new formula of absolution that will be used. Um, it is coming into effect, of course, as... Ash Wednesday, mm-hmm. and then it'll be mandatory to be used um, by on Divine Mercy Sunday. If after Divine Mercy Sunday you hear the old form, it is still valid, but not listed. But you are still since we're still are still absolved. So let's just stay right on the right off right off the bat. Mm-hmm. You're okay if you hear the old one, yep. um, but the the changes were not made to the essential words of the absolution. But mm-hmm. we're gonna get into all of that. But with this, so with mathematical formulas, describe reality. Sacramental formulas can describe the realities of grace here. Mm. But I thought we might just, you might think, well, what's the big deal about formula change in this way? We thought we'd talk about the absolution formulas or sacramental formulas anyway mm-hmm. first, and then talk about the specific changes of the absolution formula and why it's a nice, nice reminder to pay attention to this beautiful prayer. Yeah. So um, you are a man of a jack of all sacramental trades. Thank you. Um, since you do uh, Christology. I do. And sacramentology is just applied Christology. Wow. Right? That's mm. what it is. Cheers. So um, walk us through, what's the business of, what? Are the, what, what what's the point of having formulas? And by formulas, I mean words, the mm-hmm. words involved here. What are the formulas in the sacraments for, generally? Just as a, a reminder about yeah, the mathematics yeah. of God. So a sacrament, says St. Augustine, is a sign of a sacred thing Nailed that it. makes men holy. All right? So it's a peculiar kind of sign which causes by signifying. So we're not always accustomed to encounter signs of such a, a strong sort, uh, but these are signs of a strong sort. So for instance, you're driving down the road, you see a stop sign, you're like, oh, interesting. A legislator or um, you know, the regime has suggested, not suggested, has mandated, commanded that I stop at this particular sign. But we know from experience that there are plenty of people who do not stop at stop signs. So it's a sign that suggests, right? And the suggestion is backed by a command or a precept. All right. But it doesn't necessitate that we would necessarily stop. Now, in the sacramental world, it's like you're living in the stop sign dispensation. And if you believe in the stop sign dispensation, then when you pull up to a stop sign, it stops your car. Okay? It's not magic. It doesn't just stop your car, regardless of what you're thinking or what you're believing. You have to believe in the stop sign dispensation. But if you do and you approach the sign and you see it, right? and it's, it's been validly erected on this corner, then it will stop your car. So sometimes in our debates with Protestants, we'll say, you know, the sacraments aren't, aren't, aren't just signs, and it, it makes it sound like the sacraments are signs. It, Father Gregory, be clear. So we'll say the sacraments aren't just signs, and then we begin to think that the sacraments aren't, aren't signs. signs. Yep. When they are, they are signs. They're just especially efficacious signs. So yep. They're not just signs. They're yep. signs that cause by signifying. So in every sacramental sign... We refer to like form and matter, mm-hmm. and form and matter might be, you know, like language with which you are familiar. Like we'll talk about the human person is composed of form and matter, the form being the soul, the matter being the body, which is made to be a human body by the soul. Uh, so too in the sacraments, you have these composite parts. Mm-hmm. So you'll have the stuff of the sacraments, mm-hmm. and in the case of the sacrament of confession, you as a penitent, you bring your sins, which mm-hmm. you intend to confess, you bring your contrition, mm-hmm. right? So a moderate sorrow and detestation for the sins with a desire for ongoing conversion. And then your willingness to make satisfaction. You bring that. That's the matter of the mm-hmm. sacrament. 
And then the sacramental formula or form, it, it perfects that matter which you bring and makes for a valid celebration of the sacrament. So that would be, you know, the absolution as it is provided. So it's these things taken together constitute the sacrament validly celebrated. And so in signifying it has its effect, which is the forgiveness of sins, the reuniting of the individual to the church, um, and a deepening of your sorrow and hatred of the sin itself. Yeah, and it's a the, it's a beautiful thing given to us because the, the angels don't need sacraments, and God could could heal us in all sorts of ways, but He heals us through the sacraments and grace that and modes that are fitted to us, both the matter, of course, but the way that we know things through language, the way we understand things through reason, the way we, that we make them intelligible. So the sacraments make grace intelligible to us by these words. And which, of course, Christ being the Logos, being the Word of God, the intelligibility of God, it's perfectly fitting that as he applies himself in the world, he applies himself through these words, which is what the sacrament form, formulas, uh, you could say, the individual, the specific words uh, in each of the sacraments are. Um, now, the sacrament of absolution, as you mentioned, has the formula of absolution, which everyone has heard or will have heard in the sacrament. After you you confess your sins, and they get, the priest gives you a, a penance of some sort, and he says, make you an act of contrition. You give him words. You make your contrition intelligible. You make it human um, to him. And then he gives back with Christ the, the, the words of Christ, the words of the church. And the New version, I won't put you on the spot to say the old one, although we all remember this sort of thing. Now, I'm not going to absolve Father Gregory of his sins, although I'd be happy to. Um, but this will this so this is the new words that you'll hear are God, the Father of mercies, through the death and resurrection of his son, has reconciled the world to himself and poured out the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of sins. Through the ministry of the church, may God grant you pardon and peace, and I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's two changes mm-hmm. that have been made here. There's two changes. One is, it says, and poured out the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of sins. And that's a change from and sent the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Right? The second one is, may God grant you pardon, as opposed to may God give you pardon. Mm-hmm. But before we... D- and there, I think we're going to talk about what's, what's the point of these changes. They are a change in the t- English translation of the Latin... Uh, text, so it's not a change in the, but in that, but let's just talk about in general. You might think these are great gifts that have been given to these sacrament formulas and all the beauties that, and all of a sudden, cha- people change them. Yeah, like, well, can we always change them? What does it mean to change? So, talk us through when we have this change. Um, what are we to make of it? Should we should we be upset about the fact that there's been a change here? Is this allowed? Mm-hmm. I thought these were sacramental forms that were eternal, right? right. How do we work, work through work? So let's work, talk through change a bit. Sure, yeah. Well, I think in order to get a a clear sense of the change that's going on, we need to know what it is mm. that remains the same. What are the I don't know the foundations upon which we build in subsequent iterations of the celebrations of the sacraments. So. Our Lord Jesus Christ took human flesh, and in his earthly life, he instituted the church, or he established the church. Within the setting of the church, he instituted the seven sacraments, okay? So we profess that the sacraments are visible signs of an invisible grace instituted by Christ for our salvation. That's another definition, a kind of alternate definition, a catechism definition. Mm -hmm. Um, So we want to affirm as bedrock that Christ instituted the sacraments, okay? Now, with each of the sacraments, you have the kind of core of the sacrament and then the liturgical celebration of the sacrament. The closer you get to the essential formula, mm. right, which you alluded to, the kind of the closer you are to the core reality of the sacrament. 
and then how you go about um, making for an appropriate and dignified liturgical use of that, right? That's uh, we can see some some development mm-hmm. in that, you know, in that aspect of the sacramental celebration. Um, so, like a very kind of remote sense as to uh, like what would the celebration of the sacrament look like in an age of the church versus another age of the church? You might think about um, like liturgical music. Okay, so liturgical music might differ through the ages. Uh, the Gregorian chant of the 7th century might sound different than the motets uh, or polyphony of the 15th century. Both are dignified ways of framing the sacramental liturgy, but they are, um, you know, while inspired by texts mm-hmm. which are proper to the liturgy, there is some liberty, as it were, for expression depending on time and place and circumstances. And I, well, we shouldn't be concerned or surprised at this, and this isn't like saying, oh, well, you know, stuff changed, and therefore we're going to reason to why it's okay that it changed, like a rationalization for changing over time. But to remember that the sacraments are given to us in time and space and meant for time and space. Mm-hmm. There are no sacraments in heaven there are no, that for eternity. These are the things, this is the space that opens up this sacramental economy for us finite, uh, infleshed, fallen creatures to bring us back to, to God in this time. Yeah. But they will close up. So they are meant for the time and space of our human existence here. And since our human existence changes in time and space, then the sacraments, of course, will have some modification. Humans have been humans since we were humans. Mm-hmm. We're different. Our cultures are different. We've developed certain ways. We talk in different ways. We have different arts. We have all this kind of thing. But essentially, we're still humans. Same God, same people, same same lands. There's more commonality than difference between this. In the same way, the sacraments have more commonality, but they do they can change because they're instituted for us, us changing beings, and it instituted by the church, God through the church acting for this. So we need not worry about this change um, as a surprise or rationalization, but rather expect that there should be tweakings over time, you could say, to get nearer to and more effective to the truth of Christ as he represents himself and comes to us in in history. Yeah. So with the sacrament of confession, we observe certain developments in its practice, right? So the maybe 4th century penitential practice of a catechumen to be received into the church or to a public sinner who would have committed a big sin like adultery or apostasy or murder, the the way in which that person was reconciled to the faith Mm -hmm. would have taken a particular form, okay? So the way in which that individual dealt with sin or dealt with idolatrous worship or dealt with whatever, you know, I mean, that's sin. Uh, The way that the person would deal with that would be often very long, arduous, and public. The practice of what we call auricular confession, uh, so the confession of one individual to an ordained minister of the church, um, is is a later development, or at least it's widespread practice. It begins in Celtic monasticism and subsequently spreads from there throughout Europe and beyond. So it's it's okay to observe a certain development. It's not we don't have to fear that as if we were making the whole thing up. Yeah. Okay. So there are That's solid right. biblical roots for the teaching, and then we observe an organic development within the church's tradition, and that organic development doesn't fall afoul of what we understand by tradition, namely what's been taught always and everywhere you know, within the setting of the church's life and, you know, practice. So when it comes to these particular Mm -hmm. changes, I think sometimes people are nervous about the fact that it's arbitrary, perhaps it's all made up, perhaps this doesn't actually dispense grace, and maybe... Jesus Christ is just like I don't know Santa mm-hmm. Claus. Yeah. Um, so we can we can keep some of those fears at bay because we know that 
this is testified to in a way that's thoroughly ecclesial. Well, and we can also, we, we I dare say, we don't want to become Mormons about the sacraments, such as we think that the the formulas as they are, because one, they're in English, you know, English, that they are handed down from on high, and that if you change any given one, like their tablets or something, no, no, remember, they're, they're created in the church, given by Christ, through the church, through the means of the church, uh, with the Holy Spirit, all this. So it's it's a perfectly, this is how you'd expect this thing to happen sometimes. Um, but we can we can think, we can pristine them or hold, hold them as, as some some Mormon direct revelation, but they're not they're not that. Uh, the closest one might be the uh, Eucharist. Uh, we have the words, direct words of Scripture there, um, I think, in that, or in the baptism, I suppose. So they're there, but even their language shifts a little bit because they were in Greek, of course, and he was Aramaic. Any case. Okay. We've talked about the, the sacramental changes and how the change. We talked about this is a change in the in the English translation mm-hmm. of of the Latin formula, mm-hmm. um, and there's two parts to it. So I thought we just talk about um, the two changes and what, how they're helpful yeah. and how they uh, to those who are penitents. As you're listening, you might be thinking, "What is my penance?" Is he speaking over this thing? Um, and but to pay attention to the words because it is a beautiful prayer. It not only it does it affect the healing in you and the grace of the sacrament. But also those words make intelligible what's there. So um, the first change was we went from sent out of the Holy, sent from the Holy Spirit, sent the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of sins. Now we're going to say uh, God, the Father of mercies, through the death and resurrection of His Son, has reconciled with Himself and poured out. So instead of sent the Holy Spirit, He's poured out. God the Father through Christ has poured out the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of sins. What do you make of uh, the moving from sent to poured out? Feel free to bring in the Latin if you'd like. I'd love to. Fantastic. So in the, in the Latin formulary, it says effudit, mm-hmm. right? So you can think of the word, well, the Latin past participle is effusus or effusion, mm-hmm. right? So which is not unlike infusion, but fudere, that that like root there means to pour. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you get with this that you didn't get with the other? Well, the Holy Spirit is sent. It's true to say that the Holy Spirit is sent. Um, and we think here of the missions of the persons of the Most Blessed Trinity, that you have these Trinitarian processions, so the Father begets the Son, and the Father and the Son breathe forth the Holy Spirit, and these Trinitarian processions are the pattern of the Trinitarian missions. So the Son is sent into the world in the Incarnation visibly, and the Holy Spirit is sent into the world visibly in the descent of the dove at the baptism, in the enveloping cloud at the transfiguration, in the Lord's breathing over his apostles in John 20 in the upper room when he says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, and then in Acts 2 with the descent of the tongues of flame over the heads of Mary and the apostles as they receive this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But the visible missions signify the invisible missions whereby um, the Son is sent to us as the author of sanctification, and the Holy Spirit is sent to us as the gift of sanctification. So sent is beautiful, and it captures a rich mm-hmm. theology. Yeah. Things that you get in addition to a, a deeper fidelity to the Latin words with poured out are this idea of our capacity to receive that sending. Okay, So you pour something out in order that it might be poured in. Right, so that it might be contained ultimately, because we are capacious in the sense that we can receive the outpouring, we can play host to the Most Blessed Trinity. So we talk about the indwelling of the Holy Trinity or the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. This, this is what we're saying. So the persons are sent to us, not in like they visit us exteriorly, or they kind of check in and check out as fits their whim or caprice, but in the sense that we, as made to the image of God, are also made to the image of the Most Blessed Trinity. And we are meant ultimately to play host 
to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit by the sending of the Spirit, by the sending of the Son, which brings with also the abiding presence of the Father. Mm-hmm. So when we say that the Holy Spirit is poured out, we think there of the line in Paul's letters where he describes how, you know, um, the, the Holy Spirit has been poured into our hearts whereby we cry, Abba, Father, so that the Spirit is given to us in grace as the gift of sanctification so that we can be, you know, like united with the Son in a spirit of sonship, but ultimately so as to appeal in this liturgical fashion to our Father so that we can be incorporated into the Trinitarian life itself, abide at the heart of the Most Blessed Trinity in this communion. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that note of the fact that we are meant to receive the sending, right? So not just sent in a might check in, might check out, but in the poured out so as to be ultimately poured into our hearts, which are fitting dwelling places for the Most High God. And we interiorly are renovated by this fact that it can heal us, it can grow us, and we can become more so the saints whom God intends us to be. So that's you know, like subtle yeah. notes, right? But but significant. No, things. I mean, we're whether it's wine tasting or coffee, subtle notes or cigar tasting. There's subtle notes are, are what makes all the difference in the world sometimes, uh, or spices in a sauce. Um, and I like the poured out language not only because it, the containing, so it's that it's an activity that fills you and in indwelling the Holy Spirit. Although we have we done an episode on uh, the Trinity and dwelling in in one. I don't think so. I mean, I, people, th- well, how do you fit? Th- I can't fit one other person in here, let alone three, like triplets of the divinity. No. So we, we ought to do that at some point. Um, leave it to the theologians. But I like that poured into, but also this poured out language is related to the blood of Christ to me. Sure. Um, so you have his, his blood poured out for us for this. And that's what penance, of course, is. It's not unrelated to, because it's his, through, through his death and resurrection, the, the, why we are receiving forgiveness, how we receive forgiveness is because of the cross and the and his, his salvation on the cross. So you have this pouring, it becomes this fountain then, so that Christ's blood pours out, the Holy Spirit pours into us, and then we, of course, as you mentioned, are able to pour out, share that kind of a trickling fountain down to all of, all of creation, anyone we meet, even to rocks, apparently. Of course, we're supposed to preach to preach to rocks or something like that, as Jesus says. So we have this... There's, there's a sense of a multiple, you can think of, I don't know, an Italian fountain or a chocolate fountain or something, um, whatever, you know, I'm a visual imagery kind of guy. Uh-huh. Okay, so pour it out, that's beautiful, so you're receiving something indwelling as opposed to just a letter sent to you, which is great, but pour it out has this filling connotation then that you might be able to share out of the fullness of it. The second part, though, um, is is also, it's just a simple word. You might think, you know, pour it out to send is a very, it seems a, a very different semantic range. But we have, um, the, through the ministry of the church, may God grant you pardon and peace. Mm-hmm. The original was, may God give you pardon and peace. And give and grant you, think, you might think, whoa, we've got some Latin pendants going on here, or worse, like people are just changing for change's sake. But there is a semantic element to grant that seems particularly appropriate here. So what do you what do you think about this give versus grant, donare versus what have whatever the Yeah, so yeah. the word the word in the Latin formulary is tribuere, yeah. right? To grant or concede almost. Um, so when we think about to give, obviously that's a that's a polyvalent word or an ambivalent word. It can mean a giving of any number of sorts. But typically when we think about giving, we think about giving among equals or between equals. So like I give you something, you give me something, it's a kind of give and take. Mm-hmm. Whereas when we talk about granting something, it sounds more hierarchical or hieratic. It sounds like something is being bestowed or conceded or accorded from mm-hmm. on high, mm-hmm. which 
uh, you might think, well, we're like well-adjusted 21st century people, so we don't bow to anybody. Well, we do bow to God, okay? Um, But also it's the type of bestowing or conceding or granting, right, which dignifies us as a result. Because we don't want to just be lost on the same level with God. It's not just my buddy, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy, to quote a great commercial of 25 years ago. Um, Right, It's, it's that God gives us from on high so that he can draw us with him up into the divine life itself. Like that's in part the inspiration for the name of the podcast, God's planning, right? So we talk about the divine condescension, right? So we don't want to be condescended to by our peers because that's condescending, doesn't need any further explanation. But the divine condescension isn't something that makes us feel less or makes us feel undignified. It's the type of thing which in visiting us from on high actually introduces us into the divine life itself. So it's a kind of condescension, like we would talk about the abbreviated word, right, or the humility of the manger. There's there's this movement of revelation whereby God limits himself, right, or constrains himself so that he can reach out to us in a way that's easier for us to recognize and receive and then draw us with him into life eternal, right? So it's this accommodation mm-hmm. of salvation so that we can ultimately be conformed to him, right, assimilated to him. Mm-hmm. And so we talk about his granting this thing. We're saying that forgiveness pertains to him by right. Grace pertains to him by right. It's not ours for the taking. It's ultimately ours for the recognizing and receiving in a disposition of humility and of gratitude. Because in cultivating those virtues, the space is opened up in our interior life so that we can be transformed with what is bestowed and then ultimately led further up and further into the heaven which awaits. Yeah, and I love that the more you think about this word, the granting, as you say, it has a royal dignity to it, a title. And it's, it's giving over a title. You grant someone permission, you grant someone power, you grant someone property, you grant someone rights, you grant someone an ability to do something or a capacity. And that's what the forgiveness of sins is. It's a granting, a bestowing upon the sinner the ability to again worship the true God in the fullest form because you've lost the grace through sin and now you need to be recalled to your dignity as sons and daughters from baptism through the second plank. Right, they talk about the second baptism as penance is again washes of your of your actual sins and gives you the power to again worship, which is what baptism opens for you to worship the true God. So this granting is this bestowing from on high uh, something not merited, uh, but something that we need in grace to be able to worship Christ in the fullest form. And that's the way. So uh, the grant versus give, because again, yeah, we give people gifts and we exchange gifts, but you say, oh, I grant you this thing during Christmas. It'd be strange, but God grants us things because he's God and we're, we are not. So that's, I think it's, it's a beautiful change. Now, in our last concluding minutes, you might think, wow, uh, that's really great, but no one's going to confession anymore. I mean, (laughs) ships, are we just rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic here? Like, Oh, you guys got to this finally, you bishops and things. And but maybe, maybe we should actually do some, do something more important. You know, like what's so big? Why, why do this? So, what do you, what do you have to say to someone who has a particular cynical reaction or thinks, well, oh, fun to play words and all that, but no one's going to confession anyway, so it's just gonna be pre-saying it to themselves between yeah. each other. Maybe okay. So my brief thought before sending mm-hmm. it back to you is that. Um, a line that we say often on the podcast is nothing matters and no one cares. Mm-hmm. You know, when we talk about nihilism or its literary expressions, we don't believe that, right? But sometimes to have that reflected back to us by the culture is a good little gut check. What it is to discern better, like what it is I believe and how it is that I care. 
And I think in this case, we're talking about something that pertains most urgently and immediately to the substance of revelation and grace, right? We're talking about healing of our sins and growing in the life eternal, because if there's anything that matters in this world, it's that. And we want to be precise about it. We want to be specific about it. We want to be determinate about it, because otherwise, that like looming specter of arbitrariness is always lurking around the corner. Um, so we're not making this up, right? Our Lord has laid it down in a way that's intelligible to us that we can subsequently deploy in the sacramental economy. And yeah, I mean, we as fragile and fallen human beings suffering at weakness and woundedness of all different sorts are going to make a mess of most things. But in this case, we can trust that the Holy Spirit who is with the church will lead us into all truth and that the means appointed for our salvation are sufficient, more than sufficient, they're abundant. Formulas have power, and they draw us to them just like the golden mean draws your eyes to beauty. So much the formula precision of the formula of the sacraments draws to Christ and salvation. That's what we'll have to end on. Thank you for listening to this episode of Godsplaining. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, TikTok, which I thought was about dancing, but apparently it's also about Godsplaining. Like, subscribe, leave a five-star review. Uh, I mean, don't lie about it, but leave a five-star review. It's a five-star review. It's great. Uh, leave comments. We'd love to hear those. If you'd like to, to uh, donate to the podcast through Patreon, monthly donations, please follow the link in the description. Uh, you can also follow the links to find information about our upcoming Godsplaining events, merchandise. Particularly, this is the first thing, I want first time we announce that we have the All Comers Retreat at Malvern, PA, June 16th through 18th. That's open to anyone 21 and above um, to come. We thank our benefactors who have made it extremely affordable through their, through their generosity so that you may come. If you find information about that, remember, all Comers Retreat, June 16th or 18th, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We'd love to see you there. Father Gregory, do you need anything else on that? No, that's great. Fantastic. So please pray for us. We'll be praying for you, and we'll catch you again on Godsplaining. <laughs>